Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis, everybody. You're listening to WYXR 91.7 FM at Crosstown. I'm Emily Trenum, the host. And this week, we're going to be talking all about the Edge District and all of the really exciting redevelopment that's happening in that part of town. And my guest is Ben Schulman, who is the director of real estate for the Memphis Medical District Collaborative, which is an organization, you know, that coordinates and facilitates a lot of development and development related activity in the medical district. And that includes neighborhoods like Madison Heights and the Edge and the Pinch and the sort of central medical district area. So anyway, so welcome, Ben. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. Happy to be here. So, Ben, since you're relatively new to Memphis, I think I met you really right after you had moved here before the world shut down. So just tell us a little bit about your background and why you wanted, why this was a great opportunity for you to come to Memphis. Sure. Uh, So I moved down to Memphis about three and a half months before the world shut down. But my exposure to Memphis had been uh, fairly broad before that. I had paid a visit to the city back in 2016 with my wife, and the city kind of grabbed a hold of me at that point in time. And by background, I'm a writer with a focus on urban planning, policy, and architecture. Uh, And I came out of that trip really inspired by some of the things that were happening in Memphis. So wrote a number of articles for uh, the Atlantic City Lab about uh, initiatives like Big River Crossing and Shelby Farms. Really had no expectation that I would one day live and work here, but certainly the seed was planted to keep an eye on Memphis. This opportunity arose with MMDC, and, uh, and now we've been here. I'm very, very happy to call it home. And what does the director of real estate do? So the director of real estate uh, administers MMDC's real estate program, which works in concert with our other program areas that touch upon things like quality public spaces, mobility initiatives, community and economic development, and other ways to make the medical district communities more complete. More specifically, the real estate program is focused on expanding the ecosystem of developers who are investing and building in the district and connecting them with the necessary tools to do so. So those tools within the toolkit could be anything like direct technical assistance, connections to resources or capital. Uh, And then we, uh, we being MMDC, also directly administer certain financial incentives uh, that can help projects come to fruition. What incentives does the do you have for the medical district that are sort of exclusive to that neighborhood, if any? So the uh, MMDC administers a pre-development grant program, and this is a great way to take a back-of-the-napkin idea and turn it into something a bit more tangible. The grant uh, will uh, offer up to $5,000 for the production of things like architectural renderings, feasibility studies, again, anything that's going to make your idea more tangible where you can then go out and find additional partners to turn it into a reality. That's great because, you know, pre-development money is sometimes kind of hard to come by, especially for emerging developers. Exactly. And emerging developers has been a large focus of our work. Back in 2017, long before I was in Memphis, MMDC worked with the Incremental Development Alliance on what they call boot camps, which essentially are educational forums that give a complete overview of the real estate development process, but break down some of the intimidation factor with real estate development. Um, Since that point in time, interest grew in that program, and that has grown. We we worked closely with ULI Memphis 
on facilitating those sessions. And that has grown into an entire sister organization that ULI Memphis now uh, administers called Region Smart. And they have a particular focus through their READY program, which is the Real Estate Diversity Initiative, on ensuring that um, individuals of minority background or women uh, developers have the opportunity to engage in real estate activities. Yeah, I'm very familiar with READY. Um, when I hosted the High Ground News podcast before the pandemic, we did a whole program about that, the READY program. And then a little more recently, Urban Land Institute, you probably know, did a whole month-long deep dive into you know um, diversity, equity, inclusion in local real estate. And um, I had Anna on the program and we talked about, you know, the different programs, including Ready, that were specifically designed to sort of, you know, build capacity for small developers um, and help, you know, just build out the industry, make the industry more inclusive of give people opportunities to become developers. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, my background, I, I mentioned briefly, I've worked as a writer on planning and policy, but more directly through different organizations before I joined MMDC, I was with an outfit called Small Change. And what Small Change does is takes uh, small scale investments from anyone over the age of 18 uh, that allows them to invest directly into real estate projects in their communities. So I always characterized it as a tool that brought the community directly into community development. But I think I bring that up because I think it's just one note in this kind of symphony of equitable transitions that are occurring that is really reorienting and rewriting the rules of real estate. So they are more reflective of the individuals in our communities and are more porous to allow more people to participate. Well, is small change still exist and and do we have it here in Memphis? It does still exist. We uh, uh, do not have it here in Memphis to date. Uh, small change is one of a number of these real estate crowdfunding platforms that arose after the Obama administration passed the 2012 Jobs Act, Jumpstart Our Business Startups. Um, I am not aware of any developments in Memphis that have had a crowdfunding component baked into it, but don't don't quote me on that because it could be untrue. Uh, um, and certainly there's opportunity for, for that type of investment vehicle to be brought into the equation for real estate transactions. I love that. I would definitely, that's something I would invest in. Yeah. And it, the intriguing aspect of the idea is that it applies to investment opportunities well beyond real estate. In fact, real estate is just a small subset of this larger idea of equity crowdfunding, which really has been focused on uh, getting individual investment into small businesses. Okay. Well, this is this is good. This is an interesting discussion. I mean, I'm a in my as a person, I'm a big digressor, and sometimes on the show. So, so we haven't even talked about the edge yet, but this has been very been very interesting. So, I want to figure out a way to do some additional discussions on this and sort of related subjects. So mull that over. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about the edge. The edge is just, it's a very cool neighborhood. I've been going to forever um, because there's just things like, you know, martial arts and art space have been around for a long time. And so I had a couple questions about the edge. I was looking at the, you know, I guess online and the and the boundaries. I want you to I want you to explain where it is and what the boundaries are. And the boundaries are actually a little bit bigger, at least the way um, maybe MMDC defines it than I had thought. But just kind of, you know, a, a lot of people don't know where a lot of these neighborhoods are, so it's kind of located for people. And um, and then we'll talk a little bit about what makes it very cool. Absolutely. So if you think of the medical district as the larger swath of area that connects downtown and midtown, the edge is situated pretty much in the core of the medical district. So to give it more boundaries, you could think of, and I know as you alluded to, the boundaries are a little bit disputed, but you could think of the edge really at at 
that's the southern boundary of Union. Uh, most people associate the northern boundary at Madison that sometimes is extended up to Jefferson. Uh, the eastern boundary would be uh, hugging Health Sciences Park at Manassas. And then the western boundary is also somewhat disputed, but typically thought of as Danny Thomas to the west or a little farther west looking at AutoZone Park as that boundary. Yeah, I guess I thought I, I had always thought about it as um, Danny Thomas. But of course, if you go to AutoZone Park, you've kind of got, you know, it's kind of bookended by parks, which is which is nice. It's just that Danny Thomas is sort of a psychological barrier, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And it depends, you know, if you're driving and or walking along Madison, Danny Thomas absolutely feels like the barrier to the neighborhood. But to your point, if you're coming out of AutoZone Park on Monroe, you're already established within that warren of walkable streets, which is really one of the things that makes the edge singular within the context of the entire city of Memphis. It's got this incredible, intric- incredibly intricate street network as uh, most areas of the city do not have that. So that lends itself to a certain character. Yeah, describe that if you can. It is kind of a a, a kooky grid. Yeah. So there's a jumble of streets that all come together. And then there are these little alleys that radiate off of it. And it's almost, if you close your eyes and just kind of feel your way around, it's almost like you're in a, a you know, Parisian street grid, right? Or at least in the left bank. Um, but it also offers, because of this street grid, um, a really unique sense in which buildings are, for the most part, activating the street wall, they're meeting the street. Um, There's a real desire when you're walking through the edge to continue that sense of discovery and figure out what may be around the next corner. Um, There's also a really rich legacy in that neighborhood across a variety of factors, right? So this is the area where Uh, Sun Studios is. This is also where Sam Phillips Recording Studios still is in existence. So there's this incredible music legacy. There's a legacy of art and art being produced in the area that, uh, you know, since the turn of the century, you mentioned with martial arts, that has only accelerated in years um, since then. Uh, And there's also an automotive legacy as well. Oh, yeah. Talk about that. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, this was, you can think of it analogous to South Michigan Avenue in Chicago. It's Auto Row. Uh, so these buildings, oftentimes, that the buildings that still stand oftentimes have very large windows because they were where you would go and you would see the Packards or the Cadillacs or whatever car is on display. Um, so they're the showrooms, right? And that has manifested in the Edge Automotive Museum, which is obviously championing that history. Um, And then it's really interesting because there's still a number of operating garages and body shops that are in in the area. So it's this fascinating overlay. Well, and it's that is I always tell people that it's and I don't know whether you've been out to this part of town. It is so ugly. Covington Pike, you know. Covington Pike is the part of Memphis where you go to buy a car and it's just one, you know, car dealership after the other. I call it flag land because they've all got, you know, lots and lots of different colored flags and big inflatable whatever is on the roof. And it's nothing like the the end. But I always say it's, it was a Covington Pike of 1925 right. um, because that's where you went to buy a car and the. So it's got, and and as you said, so um, so probably a little bit of a digression too. But I know in redevelopment efforts like this, you know, there's the d- desire to try to retain, you know, existing businesses, and so um, and sometimes businesses want to stay, and then sometimes they want to, I don't want to say cash out, but you know, real estate gets more valuable, makes sense to move to a different part of town. But how are you? Are you? intentionally trying to retain those businesses? Um, and do you have sort of strategies to do that beyond just saying, just we we want you to know that we want you to stay? Sure. 
So we do have, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a community and economic development program that's really focused on helping steward businesses at all scales, right? And that includes making sure that businesses are given the opportunity to uh, uh, stay in the area if they choose. This is not an example directly from the edge, but our community and economic development team just in December of last year was able to work with Alcinia's, um, the soul food restaurant. Oh, to buy their building. To buy their building. So that's an example of how we want to help manage and retain businesses that have really created and defined what these neighborhoods within the district are, while also offering incentives for new businesses to come in uh, and add to, as my friend Scott uh, Scott Dunn says, the yeasty mix that makes a city a city. So do those businesses want to stay for the most part? Uh, the, the auto-oriented businesses that are still there. Oh, so I, you know, I don't have much direct interaction with those businesses, so I can't speak directly to it. But certainly those businesses that are continuing to thrive, I think, recognize the value of their place. Um, And I would say that it's analogous to the music based businesses that they're somewhat trading off of this legacy and it's still using it as a calling card for their current businesses. Yeah, it's um, it's just so interesting. Uh, and that auto museum, I like vintage cars anyway. And that's just, just really a really cool museum. So I hope it's not sort of a temporary pop-up kind of thing. I hope it's planning to stay permanently. Yeah, and you can already see how it's embedded itself in the neighborhood and all of these collateral activities that happen around it. So uh, the Edge Neighborhood Association, which, uh, as its name implies, is the Neighborhood Association for the area, uh, they host a cars and coffee event the second Saturday of every month. Um, In the fall, there's a car cruise that happens within the, the core of the Edge. And that brings people from all over the the region, really, to see uh, cars on display. But it all happens in the edge. And it's great because you have, you know, thousands of people milling in and out of the walkable warren of streets that we were talking about. And as more development comes online and as more green space um, is curated and landscaped to absorb this flow of pedestrian traffic, I think the edge is really positioned uh, quite well to, to see continued growth while still maintaining that authentic sense of itself. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, like I said, it's always been, um, it's always been a very cool neighborhood. I've been there many times for art events, both at martial arts and then also, you know, people used to have studios and have sort of open studios uh, shows there. And then, you know, there was some legacy restaurants like Kudzu's and, but I'd always saw, I saw it as a, you know, as a place of opportunity, like an undiscovered gem. Um, so it's been really a delight to see that, you know, to see it flourish um, over the past several years. So, but I wanted to sort of, I really think that the edge is sort of, um, you know, we talk a lot about um, certainly in the community, I say we all in the community development planning world about, you know, sort of pre-vitalization. And I feel like some of the things, the edge was is a great case history for that. Um, and to sort of, you know, elevate the neighborhood, elevate its visibility, but also to show what could be. So I wanted to talk about a couple of those things that I felt like were really instrumental in the process. And one of them, I was um, not working at High Ground at the time, but you probably know High Ground has an on-the-ground program where we embed in a neighborhood for three or four months and sort of lift up the stories of the neighborhood. Um, and the first official on the ground neighborhood was Frazier. And that was three or four years ago. And we've done something like 14 neighborhoods since then. But before that, we actually piloted that in the edge and was sort of an unofficial, but we again had a reporter embedded in the neighborhood, um, worked with um, the city and, you know, Tommy and his group, 
And the um, and I feel like that was one of the very first, you know, things were just starting to happen. It was one of the very first efforts to to sort of lift up the neighborhood. And then the the Memphis. Anyway, I don't want to. I mean, your organization did did most of this, so I don't want to tell your story. But I just think it's real important in helping people visualize what could be and then make some tangible improvements to for for people coming to the neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. And I would add as well that some of those seeds were planted uh, even longer, much longer before MMDC came into an exist into existence. Uh, I mentioned the Edge Neighborhood Association, which was originally formed in the late 90s, early 2000s, I believe. And recently, I recently came across one of their early pamphlets from 2002. And it starts to really define the edge as its own neighborhood. And I think that was really showcasing the commitment to the area and the idea of what the area could be by people who very early on in this, let's call it uh, more recent wave of the the neighborhood, uh, seeing their attachment and uh, certainly the presence of artists that you've mentioned, martial arts. This might have all been happening underground or in a disjointed fashion throughout the years, but with the formation of the Edge Neighborhood Association, it starts to coalesce. And then you see some private sector investment coming into the neighborhood. Uh, When MMDC comes onto the scene, I think we were able to formalize a lot of those activities and give it a more unified presence. Um, And, you know, that manifests in certain things like uh, the Cat Pena streetscape installation at the corner of Monroe and Marshall, the development of Edge Triangle, which is a a green space with a dog park, the programming of Health Sciences Park, and more recent efforts like Boxlot, which was a small-scale retail incubation program that just sunset uh, in the last few months. But all of this add up to help reshape this perception of the neighborhood. Well, and the streetscape improvements, those were very important in terms of slowing down the traffic for, and this was before you moved to Memphis, but there was, you know, the the first Memphis in on Broad, New Face were in Old Broad, had a lot of the same goals, which was to realize that the traffic, the automobile traffic on both those areas just moved too quickly for people to feel safe. And it was an, uh, a barrier to really reigniting the kind of small scale neighborhood businesses that you wanted to bring back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a question of who are streets for, right? And if we really want to not only retain, but build new businesses, build a sense of a residential community and improve the perception of places, you can't design for just one mode. So Ben, let's talk about, we talked about the, this pre-vitalation activities, but uh, let's talk, there's, there's been over the last several years, a lot of actual redevelopment, as you said, you know, a lot of it's private sector led. So what, in your mind, what are a couple of big development projects that really were transformative in the arc of, you know, neighborhood redevelopment? Sure. So I think we can start looking at projects like the Madison 19 apartments on Madison, which were developed uh, back in 2008. Right. And then there's additional apartments that were developed uh, along Monroe post-recession. Those are kind of the first fits of new re- newer residential activity. And then it continued interest starts building up um, in the post-recession world. And people are recognizing this demand for walkable core districts. Um, so then the, the rehabilitation of the Orion building, of the Wonder Bread building into Orion headquarters, across the streets with Leo events, as we mentioned, the Edge Automotive Museum. These are all signals for increased interest in development. And now we're seeing an additional wave to complement that. So uh, the Marshall, which is uh, three retail street-facing bays and six apartments in back, uh, then uh, 
last year we saw the uh, um, the rise apartment buildings which are 199 residential units that were leased up at 90 percent during the last 10 months during a pandemic and where is that so that is on the corner the north corner of um monroe and lauderdale just across from the cycle shop building which is uh, currently vacant but that's also being redeveloped so there's been a number of opportunities just from a real estate perspective that have been completed and are now attracting additional development as you mentioned before there's also been a number of streetscape improvements that also are encouraging private sector investment uh further private sector investment into the area well and the um one thing we did sort of talk about earlier, but you have just sort of referenced, is that historically there was a neighborhood that had almost no residential. And so while there were some, you know, some restaurants and stuff, it wasn't certainly wasn't the, you know, residential density that you would need to, you know, support those kind of those kind of businesses, retail type businesses. Um, so, but but how many units are you mentioned? So many projects. How many residential units have been built? Do you know offhand? So, within the edge, there's been uh, the 199 with the rise, uh, a smattering of other units like the Marshall. Uh, there's probably been around at least 300 or so units that have come online in the last 10 to 15 years. And there are at least that many, if not more, that are projected in the pipeline um, of development projects. There's, as was made public a few years ago and work is continuing apace, there's uh, a UTHSC development. They're partnering with Comcat Partners and the Henry Turley Company uh, to deliver about 375 units to the area. Uh, and there are a number of other developments that... And where's that project going to be? Um, so that'll be, and it goes back to those nebulous borders, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. uh, that'll be just north of Madison and a little west, closer towards Health Sciences Park, extending up uh, to Jefferson as well. But that that's going to be a, a development that really, I, I think, redefines the area as both one that is residential and has those entertainment options and those leisure options like the restaurants that you were mentioning, um, the Edge Automotive Museum, and really works towards complementing all of the development that we've seen downtown and the more residential areas in Midtown, uh, which the medical district is no longer passed through then. It's a, a distinct identity. It has a distinct identity as a neighborhood onto itself. Well, let's talk about, you know, restaurants for a second, since I love to eat. I think you do too. From one, one time we met in person, we talked about that. You know, The Edge has a couple of my favorites, one of which is Evelyn and Olive. Yep. And one another one is which, which is Edge Alley that I was just at last week that was, you know, I've, I, have, I have to say I've been doing some occasional indoor dining and Edge Alley is one of my favorites, but there's, um, I mean, there's some, there's some, you know, food and drink places like the uh, brewery that have been there for several years, but there's also some some new ones. So run through some some of what your favorites are, but it's also some new ones that have recently opened or are in the hopper. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and I would agree wholeheartedly, uh, Evelyn and Olive is fantastic. Edge Alley and High Cotton have really been a, a bit of a beacon to attract new restaurants into the area. And it, we've been really really pleased this last year, even in spite of this changed world that we're living in. Uh, Chef Tams has opened up in the edge, and that was accompanied relatively recently by Slim and Huskies, which has- I have not been there yet, but I'm dying to go. It's super cool, and it's pretty much seen a line out the door since it's opened. Uh, and uh, there are a number of other 
other restaurants um, that have been announced or bars that are coming in. So most prominently and recently, we saw the announcement of uh, Sweet Magnolia Gelato Company that's coming in 655 Marshall, which is being redeveloped by the PKM uh, Architects slash Connect Memphis Development Group. Uh, also, the announcement of Inkwell, which is a bar that Ben Kohler from Baby Grand, a marketing agency that's headquartered here in the Edge, uh, he's running or spinning that bar project up. That'll be in another PKM slash Connect project that is fronting Madison at 631 Madison. So I'm incredibly excited not only to see more options opening in the district, uh, but that people from the neighborhood or have businesses in the neighborhood are opening other businesses in the neighborhood too. That's very cool. And, you know, I think it's black restaurant week this week and, and, you know, you have several restaurants open, you know, owned by people of color there, um, which is, which is nice. I think I try, I think, Unless you go to Whitehaven, I mean, certainly within the the, the core, um, I don't. There's not that many places where you have a concentration of that. So yeah. that's also very cool. Yeah, with Evelyn Olive, Slim and Huskies, and Chef Tams alone, uh, I th- believe all of them are participating in Black Restaurant Week, and it's really heartening to see them all here in the Edge. So, um, so I guess a two part question. What are the, um, you know, what are the remaining development opportunities you see both, you know, physically, you know, here's a place we'd like to, um, we would really like to see something or, you know, a kind of business that you is not in the, in the, in the district or you'd want more of, I guess, what what are the opportunities, um, and the, sort of the vision and then, um, you know, on the other side of the coin, are there any, you know, development challenges that you're anticipating, like eventually there won't not being enough parking or, um, so I guess the, you know, as usual, I'm, you know, wrapping like five questions into one, but start the, I guess, start with the opportunities and the vision first, um, aside from things that are already in the pipeline, what do you, what, do you imagine? And then what would you like to see? Sure. So there's obviously much room for continued residential density to occur. Um, Citing a market study that MMDC conducted back in 2017, and the numbers still hold district-wide, there's, uh, we could absorb about 2,400 units of residential product. And with all of the development that has either been completed and or is planned, we still have a gap of approximately 1,400 units. Again, that's district-wide, but a lot of that activity could be absorbed within the edge. And there certainly are key infill opportunities of historic structures that um, pose, pose as both challenges and opportunities for Uh, people to do a thoughtful rehabilitation and reinvestment in the district and in the edge. Really, I think that the next wave of opportunity is going to be to better enliven the public realm to make it a more complete community. So the private investments are continuing to come in, uh, recognizing the opportunity in the edge, but what's really needed Next, to make it a complete place and define itself for pub- is for public improvement realms like uh, pedestrian scaled lighting, for example. And once that comes into the mix, that really will establish this area, I think, as, uh, again, not just a complete community, but also potentially as a demonstration area for the principles behind Memphis 3.0. And that will continually draw people into the area. Uh, we do see projects that we haven't actually talked about things like the ravine which yeah, is a I, was, I was just thinking about the ravine we need to we need to tell people what that is because that's going to be a big deal it's going to be a, a very big deal yeah so it's a linear park that's taking a disused railroad right-of-way and turning it into a, a program space with a playground and an amphitheater uh, it's 
going to have the opportunity for little kiosks to ring throughout the linear park. Um, so obviously, that's another opportunity for small scale businesses to showcase and sell their wares. And that will also uh, be connected to the development of Memphis Maid's new uh, brewery um, so and tasting room. So that's going to be a really big development. Um, and when you think about the improvement of green space throughout the area, that's something that can be woven in with Edge Triangle, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the continued improvements and programming around Health Sciences Park, and then some other smaller scale green spaces that that are slowly coming into the works. So Ravine, of course, is, I guess, on some level, a fancy name for a ditch, which is what that is right now. Correct. So so will the ravine actually be um, at street level or will it be, um, I'm not sure what the right word is, below uh, ground level? I'm not a tunnel, obviously, but. So they'll be very clearly marked ingress, egress points, uh, but the the structure of the ravine will take advantage of its quote unquote ditch like character. Uh, and it really, if you think about it, uh, this is an outdoor space that's going to be open, active, and being at subgrade a little bit provides so much uh, shelter in the summer from the incredibly hot temperatures, which was like 90% of the reason I moved from New York. Right. <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, just to make it a more enjoyable uh, place to uh, be outside uh, with that shade and being being a bit um, removed from the grade, you see like a, a change of five to 10 degrees. Um, so it'll make for a more pleasant experience. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for below grade. Um, so is, is, and is this sort of a, I know there's some private sector investment in this, but it's just sort of a public private um you know, investment. So this is being led by DSG. MMDC is not uh, the developer of the ravine in any fashion. Um, certainly we're, we're partners in terms of the vision, but the DSG group is leading the charge on that effort. But I guess you'll be involved in activating the space because that's part of your portfolio in the medical district generally. We'll be uh, partners in making sure that the programming that happens there is in line with our mission to make the district more vibrant. Um, but again, most of the direct development and management will be overseen by the DSG group. And is that still on track because of the pandemic? Do you have any idea when that's going to break ground? I believe that there's making headway now. Um the time horizon for most every project has changed a bit, obviously, due to COVID, but that does appear to be on track. Okay. At least the initial section, uh, or phase one, rather. So what about that big parcel that's right across from um, Edge Alley, where Boxlight used to be? That seems like that would be a development opportunity. Yeah, so we... As you know, we had activated that um, with the box lot program, the idea of uh, helping spin up small scale retail. And as those businesses graduate, they uh, find firmer footing elsewhere, ideally in the district. Um, that lot itself is a, a prime, prime site in the heart of the edge and that could be a, a great uh, residential or mixed use site. I think that our activities on that site and then all of the activities that have been happening around it really have helped uh, reframe the perception of what can be done there and it'll be, be interesting to see what happens. That sounds great. So I guess, yeah, just wrapping up my, my last question about um, you know, about challenges that, I mean, you've alluded to some of them in terms of, you know, pedestrian safety, needing more lighting. What else um, do you see anything sort of um, putting pressure on? I mean, it's no one to displace. There's no, there's no residents to displace. We talked about businesses for the most part, not being displaced, which is great. Are there other development pressures that you are trying to think about and manage now? I think when you, particular to the edge, the pressures are making sure that everything happens in sync, 
with one another. And that we also don't develop to a degree where we take away from that authentic character that defines the edge. So making sure that we're able, MMDC as an organization is able to help uh, seed and catalyze projects, but also act as somewhat of a check on overdevelopment. Um, but I, I think that if anything, the uh, collaborative in our name uh, has many different definitions. And a lot of the development partners that have come into uh, the edge recognize that there is a mission and a vision that's driving decisions in the district, and they want to be a part of that. So it's really encouraging that those conversations continue to happen. And I guess MMDC doesn't really have authority um, that would prevent inappropriate development. Um, that's something I would worry about. You know, that 616 Club at one time was a topless bar or something like it. And, you know, under its previous iteration, the Medical District Inc. tried to, you know, went to court to try to get it shut down. And, um, of course, r real estate's, you know, more expensive now uh, than it was then. But I know that's probably got to be something that you think about. Sure. I, you know, we are very happy that 616 is uh, being redeveloped by that EKM Connect Memphis group. Uh, and they have some plans in mind to really recapture, as we were talking about earlier, the legacy of that building as a music venue and to play with that um, really strong brand of Americana that is woven throughout the district. But to answer your question more directly, certainly if there are maluses that are coming into the districts and we're aware of them, we will work with neighborhood partners to do everything we can to make sure that nothing will diminish the character and the direction of the district and the area uh, in, a, in a way that everyone wants it to develop. So Ben, this has been great. Um, Ben Shulman's the director of real estate for the Memphis Medical District Collaborative. And we've been talking about the edge district and all the things that are going on there. So Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show and look forward to having you back on talking about something else. You're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have you checked out any of WYXR's other shows? You can see the whole program guide on our website at wyxr.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation. We're a brand new station lifting up everything Memphis, and we need your support. But don't go away. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis, everybody. In this part of the show, I welcome back Ray Brown. Um, Ray is one of our regular commentators. He hasn't been on lately because he's, in addition to being an urban designer, he's been serving as the interim director of the Downtown Memphis Commission, and I've been trying not to bother him. But um, but Ray, welcome back to Memphis Metropolis. Thank you, Emily. It's always a pleasure to be here. So Ray, uh, the show's about the edge, um, the edge neighborhood, which I, I, I feel like every time... I, I do a show about a neighborhood, which is frequent. I always talk about how much I love it. And because a lot, some, you know, all of our neighborhoods are so interesting to me. And, but I love the edge and I've always loved it, you know, even before it got cool. I mean, you know, there's art galleries there. Of course, Kudzu's clothes. I used to go to Kudzu's regularly. And, um, you know, for a long time, it was a little bit of an undiscovered gem. Uh, and, but now it's really on the upswing. And, you know, Ben and I talked a little bit about the neighborhood history and um, put some of the, you know, trend, some of the pivotal developments like the Orion headquarters, some of the opportunities. And but I wanted you to just sort of put your design hat on for a minute and tell me what you from your perspective, what's interesting about the edge from a design perspective? Well, I think uh, one of the most important things about the edge is that it still has a tremendous stock of historic buildings that are intact. 
Uh, some of them are in pretty rough shape. And uh, many of them, on the other hand, have been uh, either uh, restored or adapted for new uses. Uh, so the fabric, what we might call the urban fabric of the neighborhood is still very much intact. Uh, and, and frankly, very walkable and interesting as you, as you experience it from ground level. I'm, I'm a big fan of experience. I like to think of the way we interact with cities based on how we experience them, um, what we see, what we hear, uh, what what our senses are telling us about a place. And the edge has all of that. Um, it, it, it's very interesting. Um, smells coming out of restaurants and uh, very interesting tastes to be had in various restaurants and, and uh tap rooms. Um, it's it's an, a, a fascinating place in terms of its sociability, uh, in terms of the way people interact with each other, both who live in the edge or work in the edge and who come in from the outside. So I find it to be, uh, you know, we, we talk about authenticity a lot in Memphis, uh, that one of our great strengths uh, as a city is our authenticity. And we mean that both in culture and in, in built environment. And the edge is probably one of the most authentic neighborhoods in the city, um, at least that, that portion of it with which I am most familiar. I agree with all of that. The I feel like the, the fact that the edge is a little bit, even though it's right between, you know, major streets like Union and Madison, it was kind of overlooked for a long time. So people didn't, and... Also, I think going back to what you said about pedestrian friendly, I mean, Ben and I talked a little bit about, and, you know, as usual, this is something that, you know, Tommy Pacello really had a vision for, you know, thinking about the, you know, the the temporary street improvements that ended up becoming permanent to slow the traffic down and to make, because the neighborhood, it should have been pedestrian friendly before, but it really wasn't. I mean, you know, people would haul ass down those streets. I guess I can say that on the radio. And um, I mean, and, and you, it wasn't pedestrian friendly at all. But once the Memphix came in, those think changes were making permanent. The public art, the Cat Pena um, art that's hanging there fluttering away that makes you want to stop. And they've got little tables and chairs. Um, it was, it, it's a great example of how, you know, relatively low cost um, improvements can really change the whole, um, the whole feel of a neighborhood. Yeah, that's true. And, um, and, and we do have to give props to Tommy for understanding the whole concept of tactical urbanism before anybody else in town did. And, and bringing it to bear uh, and, and really transforming the, those intersections. Uh, but don't forget that before that, Hattie Lou was uh, headquartered in the edge. You know, we, we tend to forget that. Uh, I didn't mention that in the earlier discussion, but I was thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely Hattie Lou and then um, the business where Chef Tams was. That right. was the wonderful coffee shop restaurant right. Um, right. for a long time that I used to go to all the time because that's a beautiful yeah. space. So there were definitely, you know, martial arts has been there forever. That's a very cool art space. So and, and some of those places, um, you know, the, of course, the Premier Palace. I mean, there have been stakeholders in that neighborhood working to build up the neighborhood for a long time. I think it took the resources and the innovation of um, what the, you know, the medical district collaborative were, were able to apply. And a part of that is resources. Yeah, a part of it is. But I also want to mention that um, when I first started to pay attention to the edge was when High Cotton Brewing opened. Yep. Because it has, you know, it became a gathering spot. It became what uh, some designers call the third place, not work, not home, but the third place where you go to meet people and interact with people. And, uh, and it, I think it was a big part of kicking off 
the renaissance of the edge only because it brought people's attention to the edge. It was a, it was new. It was novel. There weren't very many craft brewers in Memphis at the time. It was a place where uh, you could go have a beer and then walk down the street to the to AutoZone Park and enjoy a ball game. I mean, it was, it was quite a quite a place. So, uh, and and is I shouldn't say was it is still a gathering spot and it has spawned development on its block. Uh, next door and uh, and down the block and around the corner. So, you know, ju- it it it's it, the edge was ready. Uh, it just took a few sparks to set the fire, and uh, and it it it's not just the big stuff like the Rise Apartments, not just the big stuff like Orion, but little individual businesses that have been operating for a long time, as you suggest. Uh, that um, that that weren't highly visible, but did create the the conditions under which the edge could flourish. You know, there's a there's a before before I forget it, I was thinking for a minute about the title of the neighborhood, the edge. Yes, it's at the edge of downtown, but it's also kind of edgy as a neighborhood, and I think that gives it a little bit of uh, panache that most neighborhoods don't have it has its it has an identity that's kind of funky and uh unpolished and uh not uh not not false it's very real i agree and we we didn't really talk about that the crazy street grid in there yeah with monroe and i mean i go over to the edge pretty often and i get turned around and um so that's very, um, and I don't know why the, um, you know, why the grid is disrupted in that area. Probably had to do with how the, you know, neighborhood developed and with that, the ravine and all of that. But that's also kind of cool about the area that it's not just, it's a disruption from the regular grid. Yeah, and I suspect that a lot of it had to do with railroads and streetcars. Uh, I've not made a study of the history of the, of the urban form of the area, but streetcars in Memphis formed so much of uh, the way people not only got around, but the way streets were laid out and which streets became prominent. So I would imagine that if we went back and looked, uh, we would find that streetcars played a role in how that grid disruption occurred. So, Ray, I mean, the, um, and you have sort of alluded to this, you know, the edge is part of the, you know, the broader downtown Memphis portfolio. So how do you, in your mind, how does the edge sort of connect downtown to, you know, Midtown or some other areas? Um, Or do you think, do you think of it in that way? No, I think it absolutely does. Um, It's the, it's the, the seam, if you will, between Midtown and downtown. Um, it's it a lot of the traffic, uh, and I don't mean automobile traffic, but just people moving back and forth between the institutions in the edge and the and the medical district beyond the edge. Uh, and you know, again, it depends on how you define the edge. <laughs> Where does it start? Where does it stop? You know, it sort of starts at Danny Thomas. Uh, on the on the west end, and it stops somewhere around Manassas. Yep, you know, but but a lot of people don't necessarily have a clear picture of where the edge is. But just even defining those two streets, um, you, you you understand that it is the connector. It is the the thing that bridges the gap between uh, where the medical district institutions are and where Health Sciences Park is. And uh, the, where downtown really begins. Uh, well, and it's kind of also wedged. I mean, I think technically it goes up to Jefferson, but it's kind of wedged in between that Madison and Union, yeah. which are major connectors between downtown, Midtown, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Technically, it does go north of that. But um, again, I go back to urban form. You know, areas, districts, uh, neighborhoods are very much defined by a consistency of the size and scale and and relationship of buildings to each other. And when that changes from one side of a street to another side of a street, you've left one area and gone into another area. And that's, uh, that's, that's what the edge 
does really it it's very well defined by its urban form so last question ray you know ben and i talked about the you know the history of the neighborhood as a you know the place where you went at one time the 1920s and after that you know to get a car and even now it's you know car auto repair places i called it the covington pike of its day of course he i don't know if he's he's not hasn't been here that long so he probably hasn't been out to covington pike but good thing because it's very ugly but i guess you know, I know the Medical District Collaborative has, you know, worked with the existing businesses and made it clear they want them to stay. Um, and But property values go up. People, you know, want to sell their property when they think it's a good time. Like how imp- is it important to try to, you know, maintain that, you know, that that history the actual previous uses of a neighborhood and and how can you do that? And like I said, in a situation where property buyers are going up, owners want to um, take advantage of that, which I totally understand. Um, I'm rambling as usual, but what are your thoughts about that? Well, I one of the things that makes cities fun is when you can create identifiable districts. And uh, thanks to uh, some, some very imaginative public art, thanks to the Automobile Museum, which is open in the edge, uh, thanks to uh, a, a general sense of history, uh, that, that fact of history of its being an automobile area, an automobile sales and service area, has given it an identity that uh, is always useful in terms of defining areas in a city and creating character in a city. So having the character of the, calling it the, the automobile district, for example, uh, what does that mean for future development? I'm not talking about bringing back car sales. I'm not talking about bringing in more repair shops, but I am talking about making use of the history uh, with signage and with uh, historical markers and with uh, the acknowledgement of the history so that if people are walking around or, say, walking from um, downtown to Sun Studio along Union Avenue, perhaps there's a way for them to not only be educated but also entertained about what the neighborhood used to be and what it contains now. So... Having identifiable character or districts is a really important part of having an interesting city. So, so what you're saying is some of that, um, even if some of the, the, the literal uses have gone away, you can still um, capture that in a variety of ways. And as you talked about in the beginning, you know, some of the buildings are old auto showrooms. And so mm-hmm. they're different from, uh, from the old buildings in different uh, other parts of the city. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, it, it extends to things like, uh, what kind of public art do you put up? Do you put up public art that is automobile themed? Do you put up uh, banners on the light poles that, identify this as uh, a particular district or have uh, toppers on the um, the poles that identify the street names that have little uh, little sculptures or cutouts of, of uh, antique automobiles. I mean, how do you really uh, create an atmosphere that recognizes and celebrates the history of the area and gives it gives gives people a reason to go there and discover things? Uh, there are there are some places there are some cities where uh, I can't remember the name of the city, but there throughout its downtown there are little mouse sculptures, and you are invited as a tourist to go discover the mouse sculptures. And some of them are easy to find, and some of them are kind of hidden in little niches. And uh, but you know it becomes a fun thing to do. Well, could we do something like that in the edge for the, with an automobile theme, possibly? Well, certainly the auto museum, uh, which is very cool, is the kind of attraction that would bring families in. And yeah, you could build other things around that. I completely agree. Well, that's a great idea. 
Well, Ray, thank you so much. I've been talking to Ray Brown, who's an urban designer and um, interim director of Downtown Memphis Commission. And Ray, I really appreciate you coming back on the show. Well, thank you for having me, Emily. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.